Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 601.gn4321, certificate number 51720, Hotel Detective. Now, as a troubadour yourself, traveling the highways and byways of this great land. You're referring, of course, to the They Might Be Giants song, She Was a Hotel Detective. Hotel Detective. You've probably stayed yourself at plenty of hotels. How many nights of your life would you say you spent at a hotel? Oh, man. So many. But, like, what does that even mean? Hundreds. Hundreds of nights. More than 100, but fewer than 1,000 nights in hotels. Uh, fewer than 500, but definitely like in the hundreds. And what do you think about hotels as a longtime aficionado? I like hotels. Over the course of my career as a musician and traveler, I increasingly upgraded, right? The early, early days, uh, we often had four guys in a hotel, two guys per bed, and we were staying in Motel 6s, which is, often had blood on the walls. This is like every childhood vacation for me. It's not just your early days as a band. <laughs> it's like your early days as an American. Is right. You and your mom and dad and all your brothers and sisters crammed into a Best Western room. And then I remember the I mean, it was a banner day for us as a band when each guy got a bed, right? You would get two hotel rooms, which seemed so extravagant, so that each member of the band had a bed. And one guy slept in the van to protect the gear. And then, wow, in about 2006, each band member got a room. And when that happened, I don't think you could get bigger as a band. I don't, you know, we never had a bus. That's as big as it gets. Each U2 gives each band member one room. One room. That's the same as you guys. And it's just like, there it is, one room. And then we started to, you know, go from three-star hotels to four-star hotels. And what happens is, of course, you get addicted Or rather, you get used to a certain amount of cleanliness, like rooms don't smell like bleach anymore. There's not a feeling like someone's going to come in in the middle of the night. It's true that when I was staying in crappy hotels, I never thought, this is a crappy hotel. I don't want to stay someplace like this. 
The whole time I was, I think I may have said this before. The whole time I was on uh, Jeopardy, America's beloved quiz show, mm-hmm. I was staying down the street in this cruddy little no-tell motel. It's so weird because they didn't put you up. Is that no. is that what I remember? Yeah. You, you're, they you're, didn't fly you down or put you up. They will fly you back if they have to. But most Jeopardy contestants pay. In fact, most quiz show contestants of all kinds end up paying for their own travel and uh, and accommodations. And I mean, so... I just wanted to stay as close to the studio as I could. And this right. place had a marquee that said, color TV, phones. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, color That's TV and phones. <laughs> Fancy. When I started to hang out with a higher class of uh, celebrity, mm-hmm. which happened probably... The day you met me. Yeah, that's right. About, you know, 12, 13 years ago. When would that have been? I, I started to venture out of my little indie rock corral and into a world where people were making things in about 2006. And one of those uh, beloved people was our good friend John Hodgman, who at the time was doing those Apple ads for Macintosh. Yeah. And as part of that junket, they would fly him to Los Angeles from his home in New York and put him up at the Chateau Marmont, Mm. which is a nice hotel, but also a storied one, right? That's the one where Jim Morrison hung off the balcony and Led Zeppelin rode their motorcycles into the lobby or whatever. I don't remember all the stories. It's, it's, it's decadence. It's movie and especially music industry decadence at the Chateau Marmont. Right. And so when he was staying there, he would often invite me to come stay at the chateaus to such a degree that I became a regular there. And once you've been a regular at a fancy hotel where they greet you by name when you come in, mm-hmm. it's very hard to stay at a Marriott out by the airport. Uh, but, of course, I wasn't doing that on on the strength of my own fame or wealth, I was always piggybacking. You were the Cato Kalin of the Chateau Marmont. I was. I used to, I mean, one thing I like about hotels, honestly, is kind of the anonymity, the sense that you're in this kind of liminal space where nothing is yours, but everything is yours. Right. And the illusion that no one's- The ice machine. Right. The the vending machine that sells chips and red vomit. There is something about the empty echoingness of it, where you feel like it's all for you, even though it's clearly for a mystery paper person. That's very alluring, but I think the anonymity is kind of an illusion. I remember once reading an article where they talked to former hotel employees and managers. Maybe this was in an airline magazine, I don't know. And the question was, you know, what would surprise people who have stayed in hotels that they didn't know? And the guy's answer was that, that we know everything about you. Like you feel, you feel like you're just one of an anonymous sea of people coming in and out. But no, like the staff is so big and we observe your comings and goings. We know who's up to something shady. We know who did something embarrassing in their room or in the lobby. Wow. Uh, you that's, know, a, that's off-putting. Every, ever <laughs> since I read that, I've never been quite as at peace in a hotel lobby or a hotel room, just knowing that you know the building has dozens of employees and they're all kind of talking about you. Right. It's, it's like what you dreaded about high school is actually true. Well, the Chateau doubles down on that by, you know, if you when you check into your room, there's already stationery there with your name imprinted on it. Like If your name is John Hodgman. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, for any of the guests. So it's like I would check into my room and it would say, you know, from the desk of John Roderick at the Chateau Marmont. And it looked like it had been printed for 25 years. We have used some of your Chateau Marmont stationery for uh, omnibus recordings. We have. We used them uh, as notes. It has come back to Seattle. But So when you're staying in a hotel, do you avail yourself of the facilities? Do you go swimming in the pool? Do you use the gym? If I'm with the kids, the kids will go swimming in the pool. I will sometimes use the pool. I don't think I've ever used the gym, although I will always pack gym clothes with the best of intentions. 
Do you use the ice machine? I have used the ice machine. Um, I've never, you know, I've never done hotel laundry. Seems expensive. It is. Yeah. I mean, I've had shirts pressed, I guess. I've never had a suit cleaned, but I've had shirts ironed in a hotel. Have you ever had any kind of uh, anything particularly scandalous? Any hijinks or misadventures happen at a hotel, either to or near you? Oh, all manner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them unrepeatable. These are definitely, some of these are stories you don't want to tell. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are just sort of mundane a mundane grossness. All of my hotel stories have been untainted by any kind of criminal behavior. Right. I'm pretty sure. I don't think any of it is criminal, just unprintable in a family show like this. I'm a fan of uh I'm a fan of kind of hard-boiled mystery fiction. Do you like that kind of thing? Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett. It always felt a little pulpy to me uh because I I fashioned myself as a uh, erudite man of letters. You want something classier? So I didn't read any Louis L'Amour. I know that I know that Raymond Chandler is more literary. Do you want a Tiaboo kind of thing where the old ladies, old British ladies solve the crimes? I mean, I did read Spencer for Hire, but I was, <laughs> you know, in high school. And I think I read those because my dad bought them. I just read those because of the TV show. I, uh, no, I read them long before oh, the yeah. TV show and was surprised and dismayed by the TV show. I didn't like it. I think you're in luck. I think the literary reputation of these guys is really coming back. Is this, well, I mean, not all of them. I'm sure some of them are awful. But Chandler and Hammett and James M. Cain, probably. Uh, Hammett actually was a Pinkerton detective. Oh. I think he probably maybe overstated his, you know, the, right, ro- the romance and his bona fides of his career. But he, he did write from experience. Yeah, when he talks about somebody following a suspect or casing a joint or, or the way he would a way a private detective might interact with the cops. That's all his experience. And a a kind of a stock character that always appears in these works without fail is a hotel detective. These works, you don't realize how much is said in hotels and how often Sam Spade or the Continental Op or whoever the, Philip Marlowe, whoever the detective is, will run up against the hotel detective. And it's not, it's usually somebody he knows. It's like... You know, hey, Bill, hey, what's up with the guy in room 108? Here's a little sample excerpt from the Maltese Falcon. The hotel detective asked, what is it? Damned if I know, Spade replied. I just happened to spot him. Know anything about Joel Cairo, 635? Oh, that one, the hotel detective leered. Cairo's gay, actually. This is homophobic. I see. How long has he been here? Four days. This is the fifth. What about him? Search me, Sam. I got nothing against him but his looks. Hmm. Again, Luke, bit of a homophobe. Right. Find out if he came in last night? Try to, the hotel detective promised and went away. Spade sat on the divan until he returned. No, Luke reported, he didn't sleep in his room. Hmm. So this happens all the time, that our detective hero will show up at a hotel and want to know more about this mysterious guest from out of town. And the hotel detective is always happy to spill. Right. And it's a weird vibe because, first of all, why does a hotel have a detective? And second of all, what, what good is he if he just tells everything about you, knows everything about you somehow, and then just tells every shady character I mean, I who guess, crosses his path? I guess if you're Sam Spade, <clears throat> that's the advantage of hiring Sam Spade is he knows all the hotel detectives, right? That's what he's selling, really, is he's gone around, these guys trust him, and they're going to tell him the story. But I imagine a hotel detective, these are hotels that had big lobbies, and people sat around in the lobby and conducted business. But what was going on? I mean, people traveled less then. It was less of a middle-class activity and more of a thing relegated to salesmen and 
And a certain kind of elite, elite right. level of American life. Yeah, things were different back then. We don't have the hotel detective anymore. The house dick, right? as he might have been called, dick was a shortening of detective. Or possibly, I guess, from the Romani or Hindi uh, deco, deco, meaning to, to look or to glance. That may be the derivation of why we call detectives dicks. Did because we, that, that's older than actually uh, using dick as an insult or even as an anatomical term, I think. Detectives or, or undercover policemen were called dicks back to where? Back to how long ago? Because there weren't what we think of now as hotels. You know, there were inns, I guess, where you would pull over your horse and tie it up and spend the night. Oh, I guess, you know, in the Old West there were hotels. but Yeah, this is definitely a post-industrial, and it's a city. It's an urban right. innovation. Uh, today the hotel detective is just kind of a signifier of old-timiness, like the They Might Be Giants oh, song you detective. mentioned. It's, it's funny, the idea that a hotel would have a detective. And you see them in old movies always showing up. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout i bet you know las vegas hotels certainly have hotel detectives you know hotels will still have a security desk but they will not have a plain clothes guy um, kind of loitering in the lobby at all times. Really a, a shift, a roster of mostly ex-cops who would loiter in the lobby of these hotels and would, would make their rounds. You know, they would go around palming doorknobs, as they would say, which means checking the locks all night, checking to make sure every room is locked, banging on doors. You got a girl in there? Uh, and this was a full-time job. Do we know for sure that it doesn't exist anymore? Uh, yeah. What if you stay at the Waldorf Astoria? Isn't there someone sitting around in the lobby that ha that's uh, watching everyone's comings and goings? So we, I think we'll get to this in the end about, you know, why the, the traditional hotel detective went away. But the main reason is, is technology. You know, now a, a closed camera TV system all connected to a single desk with kind of a sleepy middle-aged guy. Right, and key cards let you know who's coming in and out. Right, so, th so those, that was all the differences. I mean, so here's what hotels were like then. First of all, as you say, no key cards. In fact, no, no auto-locking doors. You know, you'd have to have a, it was a full-time job just to make sure everybody's door was locked. Um, people would tend to stay longer at an establishment because it took so long to get someplace. If you were coming from the Midwest to New York, it took you a week to get there. Unlike, you know, the hour and a half it would take today. You're not just going to turn around and go. So hotels would have long-term clients. Some people would even live there. Um, I've always wanted to live in a hotel. Um, although I think as I get older, I realize I don't want to live in a hotel. I get sick of my room in week two. I don't know if I want to live in a hotel. Would that be true if you had a really nice room? If you had a really nice suite? 
I mean, what? How much? How what, much? If you can do the thing in, where you see in movies where people will decorate their yeah. suite, like you'll see the lady moving in and she's got all her steamer trunks and she's putting up her art on the walls, maybe that would be different. I mean, how much of your own stuff would you need? I feel like I miss. I would miss like just having like my books. Right. You know, you can't travel with your shelves of books. So, do you think if you were living in a hotel with a hotel detective that you would? Let's say you lived there for six months. Would you learn who the detectives were and greet them as you came in? Would you, would think, you conspire with them or would I, you I ignore you would them? I think you would see them a lot. Like the typical guest, they'd be very visible to the typical guest. But they wouldn't be sitting at the hotel bar chatting with you probably. I mean, you'd have to make an effort to get to know them. I can absolutely see that you would be the friends of all the guys. And I would you would be, be all like, over them. You would be like, why is Mitch not on tonight? Oh, yep. he's, you know, his wife's sick. He's, he'll be in tomorrow. I'd do that thing that... Uh, that pussy from the Sopranos did, where I would over-identify with them and be like, "Hey, I was uh, I was surveilling the second floor," <laughs> and they'd be like, "You're not a cop. Stop it." Can you deputize me? I'm not a cop either. The other thing about back then, as you say, is travel was for the super rich, so people would bring with them all their jewelry, and they would expect a certain level of security. And they did, this was the era before credit cards, so of course, all their a lot of their documents, instruments were negotiable things that could be stolen. These people traveled with a lot of cash. Right. And diamonds. And sure. So it was really necessary. Like these hotels have the impression of security and safety that would be implied by having kind of a, a tough, grim-looking guy right, in the of lobby course. With, with your stuff in mind. I mean, I forget about that, but, uh, but other than cashier's checks maybe or uh, American Express traveler's checks— if you were going, let's say, to New York to buy something, sure, you'd have to go to a local bank branch and really, like, it'd be a big ordeal to get money, and then you'd have a bunch of cash. And, of course, everyone knew that this is where the, the out-of-towners were, so hotels would just be, and they all have, you know, bars and, and restaurants, so these places would just be lobbies for every kind of confidence man and bunko artist in town. So the house dick job would be basically to keep the black book, which was the hotel record of everything that happened during their shift. And that might be, uh, you know, the widow de Travertine's diamond brooch was stolen, but it's probably more like lost dog walked into lobby, you know, 3.05 a.m. Right. And every half an hour, they'd have to go on their little patrol and, and palm every doorknob in the hotel to make sure the door was locked and, and check in with every part of the hotel. Because a lot of your job is not aimed at the guest, it's aimed at the staff. Um, hmm. not all these people are trustworthy, you know, these hotels from the, so you're, you're watching the cleaning ladies to make sure that they, they aren't pocketing the, the, um, the Rose of Sharon. Yeah. Your job is to keep an eye on the, uh, you know, new hires, is the new hires is, is silver being stolen is food being stolen is, uh, and so they would screen these employees, but they would, so they'd also be checking in with every, you know, the laundry and the chambermaids and the linen room and the restaurant and the, you know, just to make sure everything's okay. It's, they, they would have, each of the hotel dick would have trusted people in the staff that they knew they could rely oh, on. Oh, snitches. So you could, you could check in with your, with your informers and make sure everything's up to snuff in every aspect of the hotel. Your huggy bears. That's right. <laughs> have you ever been in a hotel room where, Someone rattled the doorknob? Yes. I think it happens pretty regularly to me, and I don't know why. But it's, it, it's always very nerve-wracking. It seems like maybe they're just, they just have the wrong room. That's what I assume. But Drunken businessmen using the wrong key card. Could be a hotel dick 
who's going around checking the doors. Or the ghost of a hotel dick from, from decades ago who still haunts the hallways palming doorknobs. So really early on in the year, in the advent of key cards, sometime in the mid to late 80s, a friend of mine and I were, uh, there was a brand new Sheraton in Anchorage. It just opened. And we went down to the Sheraton and it had one of these 80s lobbies that had a lot of glass and escalators and whatnot. And uh, we hung out in the lobby for a while. We were high schoolers or maybe, yeah, we were in high school. And then we started riding the elevators up and down. Um, this is what passed for fun times in Anchorage in 1985. That does seem pretty fun. Or whenever. It was really fun. But then we got off on a floor and we started walking down the halls. And we'd never seen these key card, you know, keys. Mm-hmm. And so we started trying doorknobs and a door opened. And so we went inside and shut the door. And then we're now we're in a hotel room in the brand new Sheraton. I'm not going to believe a sexy middle-aged woman was in there. Yeah, that's right. She, welcoming was, you in. she had keys to a Corvette. No, it was just the two of us. And so we sat in there for a while. And then um, one of us thought, well, let's call for room service. And so we called down and we ordered like two personal pan pizzas and two pieces of chocolate cake. And they arrived and we signed for them. The whole time waiting for a hotel detective, you know, it's almost certain that someone was going to show up and have put it together that, Room service was being ordered from a room that wasn't rented, wasn't occupied. There wasn't anybody in there or any luggage. It just wasn't locked. And so we ate our dinners watching cable TV. Free cable. We we laid down on the bed and kind of dozed off. And then at 1 o'clock in the morning, we woke up and were 100% certain that something bad was going to happen. You know, in the morning, somebody would check in. Yeah. And so we hightailed it out of there. But it always rem- it always reminds every time I use a key card, I think back to that. Have you ever legitimately stayed at the Anchorage Sheraton since then? I think later on, like there were proms held there, or maybe I went to a cotillion dance. Uh, but no, I never stayed. Why would I stay at the Anchorage Hilton or uh, Sheraton? Like I have people there. I feel like you should at least stop by and, and uh, confess to your crimes. I owe and them tell them you owe two pan pizzas and a, <laughs> and a chocolate cake, if not paying for the stay. I stay at the Captain Cook when I'm there. So they had a, it was a tough job in the era of the house detective. It was not a cushy job. You're on your feet a lot. Um, I was reading a New York Times article from, I think, 1902 or so, which called them the hardest working men in the hospitality really? industry. I mean, first of all, because the guests they're dealing with are going to be awful rich people well, yes, all the time. Right. There's a story about a hotel detective spending 48 hours trying to track down this guy's coat. Turns out to be some $7 coat. And he, he manages to track it down and gives it back to him two days later. And the guy's mad. He's like, oh, it's got a stain. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, you have this super broad portfolio of stuff you're supposed to be doing, but you have no legal power at all. A journalist, really? a journalist, well, yeah. A journalist wrote, the hotel detective is the world's most fenced-in man. He has no badge, can carry no weapon, has no authority to push people around, as have the regular police, and must either rely on tact or threats and ugly looks to get his way. But there, a lot of them are former police, and of course, as we know from Sam Spade, a detective can carry a gun. Why wouldn't a hotel detective be able to carry a gun? My guess is it's the idea that uh, this hotel is so classy and safe that our detective would not need to carry a gun. Sure, is, is the subtext of a guy with a piece openly hanging out in the lobby seems like the, the <laughs> wrong impression. Maybe would, you, maybe you would feel safer. He's not, you know, he's a Pinkerton, so he doesn't need to carry a gun unless he's breaking up a union strike. I mean, it's the same reason they don't hire actual cops for this. That would alarm the guests. 
you want you want some quasi official guy, right? Who knows all the local characters? He knows, you know, if something goes missing, he knows which pawnbrokers to call. He knows who in the in the cafe is probably a scam artist. But he's masquerading as a guest, so he's also kind of dressed. He's not some gumshoe that's. Right, standing there in a dirty overcoat. Yeah, he's not chewing gum and monologuing in the lobby at 2 a.m. <laughs> he can also spot tells in the guests because he's a former cop and he's, you know, he's done interrogations and he knows who's lying and who's on the level. So he's also screening the guests as they check in. You know, he's keeping an eye on, you know, is anybody here maybe trouble? Is this guy going to step out on his bill? You right. Know, for is example? this Al Capone? Is this... Uh... Is this like a, a mime? Is he a mime or a clown? We know they're very suspicious. <laughs> the days before credit cards, you could actually run out on your bill. That's not a thing anymore, but at the time, that was something a hotel detective would have to watch out for. You're a, you're a good boy, so you never you never did anything like that. You never dined and dashed or, or split a scene where... I have never dined nor dashed. I've dined. I've, I mean, I'm halfway there, I well, feel so like, which is but I've never Your dashed. story gets more and more suspicious all the time. <laughs> Are you the house detective here? <laughs> I've dined many a time without dashing. Right. I've done half of the crime, except I, later I, I just, I paid in full with a generous tip. You did half of the crime. Did you do half of the time? <laughs> I did half of the crime, but none of the time. So what do these guys spend their days doing? You know, keeping the scam artist out of the lobby from preying on the guests. A lot of lost objects. Mm-hmm. Um, lost kids. You lose stuff when you travel, right? Like everybody does. But really, mostly their job is to protect the employer not the guests. They're, they're there for the good of the hotel. And that works in a couple ways. I mean, first of all, it's, it's screening the employees then. Before post-war automation, there were a lot more employees. The New York Times article I read has a case where the hotel is finding stuff going missing. And the hotel stuff, literally cuts of meat are being taken out of the kitchen. Guest stuff is being stolen. Because all the guests have valuables in their room, so all it takes is one untrustworthy chambermaid, and you've got a bunch of complaints. Right. So the hotel had one guy investigate, spend a week, and after a week he was able to fire one of the chefs, three cooks, two porters, six chambermaids, and one employee in the linen room. That's that's everybody who was taking stuff. Wow. And the margins went way up. And, you know, all these press reports I've read about hotel detectives focus on the crimes they're committing, but that leaves aside the vast part of a hotel detective's job and why even smaller kind of one-horse hotels would have a guy. Is it to keep prostitutes out? Yeah, it's for moral No, really? Yeah, it's to protect the reputation of the hotel. This cannot be the kind of place where sex work is taking place. Right. Now, what about drunks? If you come back to the hotel and you're you're in a nice suit, but you're drunk, they don't hassle you. I feel like being drunk was very funny then. Right. You know, the hotel detective would get you to your room and take your shoes off. Right. You know, that's his job in that case. Because, you know, you do want to protect the reputation of the hotel. You don't want it to be you know, a noisy drunk or somebody disrupting other guests or making a scene in the lobby. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start so the hotel detective on one hand is looking for women who are not dressed appropriately for the style of the hotel but what about a classy lady are they, do they have a stopwatch going when she arrives and goes up to the, the man's room when she wasn't there when he checked in? Are they going to knock on the door? The class of the prostitute is important because this is not just kind of daintiness. It's not just squeamishness. Like they know that often prostitution leads to crime in the hotel. Hmm. I guess a very common kind of hotel crime is a prostitution being asked up. Then as soon as the John is, you know, Naked as a jaybird. Sure, she ties him to the bed. She grabs his, yeah. I mean, maybe in the in the elaborate John Roderick version. But more like, you know, she just grabs his wallet and heads out. And all they can do is blame the hotel because they can't say, the prostitute I called did this. But they will raise a stink and, right. and blame the hotel. Somebody stole my wallet. Right. So to protect the, the reputation of the hotel, he has to make sure that. And I'm, I think you're right that probably that makes that just means you got to have the right class of prostitute. Right. Like a wealthy enough guest could probably get away with about anything. If her her heels are high enough, she's not going to be able to run. Yeah. How deep is the the pile of the carpet uh-huh. in this hotel, and how high are her heels? Uh, but you know, it goes beyond just the reputation issues of prostitution, like. There were still unlawful cohabitation laws. Right. On oh, the and, books. and I'm sure, as you implied from the Sam Spade novel, they were also looking for homosexual mm-hmm. activity. So, two guys in a room, like, you know, the, the Maltese Falcon implies that this guy knows immediately that there's some, there's a, a queer at the hotel, and that makes him very squeamish. He's, he's wearing an ascot. Yeah, I think he is kind of very elaborately or Europeanly dressed. Yeah. Maybe he's just European. The the vents on his jacket are to the side rather than a single vent down there. It's a two vent jacket. Was that the was that the nineteen thirties <laughs> version of an earring on the wrong ear yeah, I or think whatever? So. <laughs> jacket vents. <laughs> <laughs> but just in general, the I think the more common case would be uh, an unmarried man and a woman checking into a hotel and the hotel does not want to be thought of as the kind of place where people are conducting affairs or having their seedy little rendezvous. Well, some affairs are extremely glamorous and bring all kinds of wonderful, uh, like, glow to a hotel. Is that right? <laughs> well, I think so. I mean, if Scarlett do, Johansson... Do you like to look around your hotel lobby and see who's, who's an out-of-towner cheating on his wife at the, at the big conference? And how would they... I mean, if you walked up to the hotel and said, it's Mr. Jennings and wife, they're, you know, how are they going to determine that you're committing an illicitness. I mean, the degree to which the hotel and the dick care might vary widely based on the jurisdiction. Right. And, and you know, how conservative is the, the town? I guess, and how prominent exactly. the guest is. Exactly. How, you know, what can the guest get away with? And also how flagrant are they about whatever sexual peccadillo 
they're pursuing. Um, one house detective tip I read is that they ask the Bell staff to keep an eye when they're showing the couple up to their room, whether or not they unpack or not. Huh. A married couple will get into the room and will immediately, while the husband's tipping the... Sure, she'll be filling up the drawers. Yeah, she'll be, yeah, she'll have her, while, uh, you know, a couple trying to get away with something will be kind of standing around nervously. Maybe they have their hands behind their back and they're looking at the ceiling and whistling. Right. <laughs> do, 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 Not about to get into... Definitely a... not having an affair with her, my secretary. And so they will look out for that. And, you know, and when will the house detective pounce and be like, aha, I bet you're not married. You've got a wife back home in Kansas City. Who's this dame? Right. No, he just goes downstairs and tells Sam Spade about it. Right. So that that may happen. But it may just be something to file away so that, you know, th this guy might be trouble because he's definitely telling us a story about this. Right. He's certainly... He's, he's doing a thing. He's not a regular. Exactly. Do you unpack, and I don't mean regular like a frequent visitor, but like a regular, a normal... A snork. A snork. Do you unpack when you arrive in a hotel if you're staying, let's say, two days? Absolutely not. Two days, the suitcase goes on that little weird suitcase thing, as right. I believe I call it. Right, the suitcase thing. Or if it's just me, the other side of the king-size bed. Uh, what about Mindy? Does she like to unpack? We both like to unpack, but, you know, how long are you going to be in a hotel before you can actually do that? Last week I was in a hotel in, or, you know, earlier this month I was in a hotel in Burbank for almost two full weeks. Did you unpack? I immediately unpacked oh. and figured out my whole arrangement. This is the this is the hamper for going to be the hamper for dirty laundry. Right, you this, hang up this, your shirt. This drawer, yeah, hang up my stuff in the closet. This drawer is for socks and, and and so forth. Like I had a whole system. I did not hang up my oil paintings on the wall. My mom loves to unpack, and I guess I unpack my shirts and stuff if I'm shirts and jackets if I'm doing a thing where I'm. Wearing a tie and a jacket. I will always hang the hangable stuff. In fact, I will usually come into the room, hang them in the bathroom, and turn the shower on hot. And what does your mistress do? Try to steam them out a bit. Does she just stand there going, do 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 <laughs> She's tipping the bellman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, neither of us are turn on the TV as soon as you get in the hotel room, people. But I, I think know. literally 99% of the country is turn on the TV as soon as you get in the hotel room. Because people. you don't like to be alone, right? You want you to hear the yeah. friendly voice. But if you, have, if you have two little kids at home... You are so happy to not he hear anything. The only time I turn on the TV is when I come back to the room at one o'clock in the morning and I want to find an episode of Sex in the City. If, and if I can't find an episode of Sex in the City, then the TV goes right off. But that's my hotel television. The only thing I do is I turn to the, the station about the hotel where uh -huh. it, it just has a weird slideshow of like pic pictures of the banquet room right. and the gym. That, that lulls me right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> So as we suggested, hotels do not have house dicks anymore, sadly. I mean, I don't know if I'm sad about it. They're always, they always seem kind of like a threatening Snoopy figure in the hard-boiled detective fiction who they might have your best interests in mind, but it's not clear. It's kind of like a realtor. Like, you don't, you're not actually sure when they're representing the hotel. And when they're representing, yeah, right. Or the law. Your or, worst enemy. Or you. Like, it may, it may or may not be in your benefit to have the hotel detective there watching over you. In the, in the late 1970s, I was in a play called The Hot Ale Baltimore. Oh, yeah. And I played the newspaper boy. Like Sanford Wilson? Is that right? It was Lanford Wilson. Lanford Wilson. Uh, and the hotel, you know, the, hot, or the Hot Ale Baltimore was a play about, you know, it was a kind of mid-70s. Oh, wait a minute. There was a television show, too. 
the Hot Ale Baltimore. I don't know how long that lasted, but it was a... Uh, Based on a play. Those were swankier times. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nice? But it was an early 70s play about the decline of the American railroads and the downtowns of America. Here was this formerly glamorous Hotel Baltimore yeah. that had fallen on hard times, and it was full of a, a ragged cast of colorful characters. And as a, you know, as a 10-year-old playing the newspaper boy, I was... I mean, I didn't have any speaking parts. I just came on stage multiple times. This was an adult performance, and you were somehow the kid performer. It was part of a la- the Alaska Repertory Theater. How did you get wrangled into this? Did you? Uh... I went down and auditioned for um, one of the roles of the one of the sons in Enemy of the People, hmm. and I and the, those were speaking parts, and I didn't get the role, and so I was very disappointed because you know I was ready to you know knock the Ibsen out of the park. And then a little while later, I got a call from one of the producers who said, we have a role for you, but it's not a speaking part, but you are on stage a lot. Because you're just sitting in the lobby with your Yeah, with your you, know, you come in, you got your newspaper bag, you fill up the machine, you take the old newspapers out. But the, the cast of the play were all veteran actors all had headshots and had done time on Broadway and they had were, been in movies. It was equity of production. Yeah. And uh, there was nudity in the play. Really? In the lobby? Well, a woman playing a prostitute, uh, but who's a regular in the hotel and maybe even living there, uh, comes downstairs in a towel and uh, gets into some, you know, is yelling at the at the front desk clerk and at some point whips off her towel and you know, snaps it at someone. I don't like nudity in the theater. It was by Anchorage standards in 1979. Shock, I guess 1980. Shocking. Especially I was there, you know, I guess I was, what was I in 1980? I was 12. So not, not eight or 10. I was 12. So I, I could, I could handle a little bit of, you know, I'd seen a Playboy magazine. You'd, you'd uh, audition for Ibsen. But those, you know, it's not everybody who's the first time they ever see a breast is, on stage <laughs> in not El Baltimore, but it was a, it, it did convey what it was like to live in one of these hotels and to be in a kind of formerly grand hotel that was somewhat seedy. And one of the characters was a retired cop. I think, I mean, there was a lot of this mm-hmm. quality and although I wasn't, I wasn't always downtown in, in Baltimore during this period, I did feel like I kind of lived it. That's, that's how you got it. <laughs> I got a little bit of the nudity. Right. Uh, <laughs> so times have changed for hotels. Obviously, there's, um, you know, automation is, as you point out, there's not a paper boy filling up the newspaper machine. There's not a shoe shine boy. You know, it takes fewer people to, to run a hotel. Often, you know, when you are in a hotel in the middle of the night and it kind of feels like there's one guy there, that might be because there is. Right. Um, Who's asleep on a bag <laughs> in the back? On a bag, <laughs> like a burl- he's got just got a, a, a pile of burlap bags, a, a bag of dirty laundry. <laughs> and you know, there's more better technological supervision. You know, uh, inventions like credit cards and key cards have made a lot of the detective's job obsolete. And of course, closed circuit TV means if anything goes wrong, your hotel is a little surveillance state, and you do not need some guy named. Reds, Reg, Red, Red, Mitch, Mitch. I think I said Mitch before. Yeah, I said Mitch before, but is that really right? Mitch. Mitch is a first name. Short for Mitchell. Short for Mitchell. Uh, You don't need him keeping an eye on everything. And of course, the main difference is there's less moral supervision. We're less prudish, and if you want to have an affair, you know, 
the hotel is happy to take your money now. Right. They just ask that you do it behind closed doors and they want a little don't discretion. leave a mess. They don't want somebody yelling in the lobby, you know, where's my hundred bucks? But I guess I don't see that anymore either. Maybe I'm not staying in the right hotels. Interesting. Maybe you're not. Do you want a list of hotels where you can see fights with sex workers in the lobby? Uh, I think most of your most of your see me hotels appear to be fictional on stage ones. Yeah, some of them at least. I guess I do want a list of tips from you on how I can get free room service from the Anchorage Sheraton. And that concludes Hotel Detectives. Entry 601.gn4321. Certificate number 51720 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era and that people are still monitoring your comings and goings. Yeah, speaking of the surveillance state, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, am I right? Yeah, and you're using your key card just to get in and out of your town. There's probably congestion pricing, so you can't drive your octopodal hovercraft into the city Is without paying big money. Is this your greatest fear of the future? Yeah. Congestion pricing? Congestion pricing! I am my car. Uh, in the unlikely event that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram... Well, I don't think it's unlikely. In the quite likely event that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have morphed into giant multinational and maybe interplanetary corporations that control all transportation and food. Yeah, the, the social media of the future will be called the United States right. or China. Our old social media accounts were archived at Omnibus Project. At Omnibus Project. We're really dating this time capsule. We are. It would be like saying, hey, check us out on MySpace. Yeah, or yeah. like, check us out on AT&T. We're products of our time. I don't yeah. know what you want us to say. Also, you can go to at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I also was on Instagram, although every day it gets worse. Um, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can mail us things that used to belong to your grandfather, like his old sunglasses or maybe his dueling pistols. His artificial limb. If you have any kind of modernist painting that you can't quite account for why he would have it, maybe he was in World War II and was in the salt mines of Austria at some point. His pickled appendix in a jar. Um, send it to us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And also enjoy our Futurelings Facebook group, which is enjoyable. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. Everything seems as transitory today as a hotel detective. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this very recording, like every recording in this series, may be our final word to you. But we certainly hope that's not the case and that Providence will allow us to be with you again soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.